0: Good morning. My name is Chris Emmons, and I'm a pastor here at White Oak Christian Church. We're so glad you've decided to join us this morning, streaming live on Facebook. Thank you for being here. And let me tell you, we are living in unprecedented times right now. As I thought about this week, what I could say this morning, I wondered if there was anything that I could say that really hasn't already been said. For many of you watching at home, you're struggling with how the events of the last few weeks are really going to impact your lives. You you may be filled with anxiety, you may be filled with fear about your health, about your family, about your job. You may be wondering, how bad is this going to get before it gets better? You know, when I look at the current state that we're in right now, it really takes me back to another time in my life where i felt some of the same things. And I'm talking about September 11th, 2001, right? during those times, we as Americans and all across the world, we, were, we were really didn't know what the future held. There was anxiety, there was fear all around. But you know, when I look back on those times, I don't remember as much of that fear. I don't remember that, what I felt so much as I remember how people started giving and started being part of the solution. I mean, during those times, there were people lining up to give blood. There were people looking for ways to jump in and help and support other people. You know, in those times, we saw people come back to the church and to God for comfort and peace. I wanna encourage all of you to do the same thing with this. Yes, coronavirus or COVID-19 is a real thing. It has real consequences. And we need to be diligent in our efforts of of kind of minimizing the risk of being infected or infecting others. And we need to remember that even while we're being careful, we can continue to be caring. I want to say that again for you, those, because I think it's so important. Even while we're being careful, we can continue to be caring for others. You know, this this is what it is all about. We're looking for ways that we can help support each other. We can love on our neighbor. We can love on our family, on our kids. Honestly, we can show love to our neighbor's kids, right? This is what it's all about. We need to be the clean hands and feet of God in our communities. You know, when White Oak decided not to hold services this weekend, I think many of you have struggled with this. Honestly, I'm going to tell you, I struggled with it a little bit as well. I began to think things like, how can we cancel church? But this week, as I read from Romans 8.39, I realized that there is nothing that cancels church. Here's what it says. It says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is no power, there is no virus, there is no government decision, there's no panic that can separate us from the love of God. And there's nothing that anyone can do to close the church. Yes, we may have canceled services, but we've not canceled our love for others. We've not canceled our ability to worship our God. We have not canceled our ability to spend time in prayer. And most importantly, we have not canceled the love we receive from our Father in heaven. We've been called to pray today, to make this a national day of prayer. So before I go into our bystanders series, I just want to take a moment to lift us all up in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this time that you've given us to come this morning And this morning I pray for the anxieties and the fears that are throughout our nation, Lord. Help ease the minds of those who believe in you, Lord, and those around the world who may not believe yet, Lord. We just help them to realize that you want the best for us and that you will never forget us, that you will be with us forever. Be with me this morning as as Holy Spirit you come and fill this place and these homes of the people who are watching this morning. Amen. Now, we are starting a powerful series leading into Easter called Bystander. And when we say bystander, we're really talking about someone who was an eyewitness to an event. That's what Nathan talked about in his video. Someone who saw something happen, and they really want to give a testimony about what they saw. And right now, I think we're living in the time where we're all witnesses to an events in the world that we're going to talk about for years to come. One day we're going to look back at this and say, "You remember when?" You know, I, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you where you didn't witness some type of event and you but you heard about it and you really wanted to know what happened. And in today's world, with cameras and everything recording, and it's constantly being recorded for some type of media, it's kind of easy to find those things. If you want to find information about something that happened, you can go online and find a video many times about what happened. But when I was younger, that wasn't easy. That wasn't easy. So when you, if you missed something, you really had to go find someone who experienced it, and you had to get their view on what happened. You see, other people's experiences can help us experience something as well. And oftentimes what we believe is based upon the evidence we are given. But we also believe really upon the reliability of the person who's giving it to us. People like our parents, our teachers, our pastors, our leaders, our friends. These people, they, we have some inherent trust in them. And so often what they tell us is true, we believe. Without even really having to test the theory. And sometimes our bystanders are not exactly the best. You know, We get conflicting information and that causes us to question what we believe. I think that's something we're experiencing right now. There is so much misinformation and opinion flooding social media and even the news that we just can't get a grip on what really matters. People are trying out there, are pushing their fears and their agenda over the truth. And they don't really care how that impacts anyone else because they just want to be heard. And often when we're reading things online and we're reading things in social media or seeing things on the news, we tend to choose to only kind of believe and, and read what supports what we already knew. They've got a phrase for this. It's called confirmation bias. And that's where we only pay attention to what we already believe. I know I've done that myself There's plenty of things that I've been told were true in the past, and so I believed them. And at some point, someone later tried to tell me that, okay, maybe what you believed is is kind of off base. But here's the thing. That's food for me. I tell you, if if you try to tell me that a certain food I love eating is not good anymore, I'm probably just not going to believe you. I mean, like salads. I like salads, but I'm starting to learn that there are certain salads that just aren't good for you, especially if you put blue cheese on them. It's just not going to be good for you. That's what it is. We're only going to choose to read sometimes the things that we believe. In society, we're relying more and more on the experiences of others to help us. We lean on things like Facebook and Instagram and Twitter to experience other people's lives. And this is, a lot of times, honestly, if you're there, this is really self-glorifying. What people do on there is oftentimes self-glorifying. And they're putting their agendas above what, what, what is really true. And they're wanting to get you to believe what they believe. And then again, like I said, we're sometimes only reading the things, have you found yourself only reading the things on social media that, that support what you already believed? And you're ignoring anything that might challenge Your viewpoint or the way you're living. You know, I think what we're seeing now is we're also seeing a trend of people who want more than that. There's this new push, right? Have you seen it where it's called the unfiltered challenge, where we're asked, don't put filters on your photos, be real, be real about who you are, post things that are real. I think this really speaks to the fact that there's people out there longing for real relationship, for the real truth. But there's some of us that we're still doing things the old way, thinking that those will bring us life. You know, it's things like posting to social media as though our lives are perfect when they really aren't. Or it's being a workaholic because you think this is what gives you purpose. This will give you something to believe in. Maybe it's sinking further and further into that addiction that you have because that's, that's the truth for you. Maybe, maybe you've tried to build your relationships around physical things, around sexual things, thinking that that will make, make you feel good about who you are. You see, Jesus wants more for our life than the old way of doing things, This is why our big idea is is that Jesus replaces the old with something better. And we're going to be diving in to the book of John. Now, John was an actual apostle of Jesus who was with him throughout his ministry. And so what John is doing in this book is he's being real with his testimony of Jesus' life. That's what he's all about. I mean, I think we all know what it, believes to believe, what it means to believe in something, right? To have faith in something. But see, here's the thing. Religious faith and belief are oftentimes divorced from reason. And oftentimes we confuse belief and faith with hope, the word hope. We say things like, I hope that God shows up. You see, hope and belief are really two different things. People will, will try to say to you, well, you just have to believe. You just have to have faith. You know, when you're in those trying times, I'm sure you've heard it. People will say, and, and right now, people are saying, just have faith. Just believe. It, you know, just believe. But is that really true? You know, I think you either believe something or you don't. John didn't believe this was the way to live either, and so that's what he was all about. And, and he feels that Jesus doesn't teach us to just have faith. You know, when people, when we're younger or we're new to faith, we we're told just to believe a lot of times, and, and because of who told us that many times, you know, our Sunday school teacher, our parents, whoever, whoever told us that, we did it. We believed because they told us to. But when when things came along and life got hard and and somebody started to question what you believed you we get talked out of christianity sometimes because what happened was is we were never really talked into it in the first place see john who was just a simple fisherman and and he was a young man he he followed jesus not because of faith but And he would caution you against this as well. He he left his father's business because of what he saw Jesus do. John was an eyewitness. He was a bystander to the events of Jesus' life. And, and, And people wanted John to share that story. They wanted to hear what he saw. And so he wrote this down, and he had a reason for it, and Nathan hit on it. There at the end of of John in, in chapter 20, he writes, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John wanted us to know what happened, but he also wanted us to know why it happened. This was John's thesis statement. I mean, I don't know how many of you went to college or were in high school and you had to write papers and, and there was this thesis statement that really supported your entire paper, right? That's what John was writing here, his thesis statement. This is what he wanted us to believe. John wanted us to know that that Jesus performed miracles beyond and signs beyond what what he put in this book in the presence of his disciples, but the one he chose to write about were, was there so that we may believe in who Jesus was. You see, all the disciples, as they wrote their Gospels, they needed to see to believe, and they put together their Gospels so that it would help us believe as well. And beyond just giving us evidence, John chose to use the word signs instead of miracles. And that was intentional. That wasn't a mistake or some kind of oversight on John's part. He was intentional because he saw the supernatural acts of Jesus as they weren't random acts of kindness. No, they were often kind, but they weren't random. And Jesus just wasn't trying to show off to show what kind of power he had. John was trying to let us know that these were signs that pointed to something. That's Jesus' identity. These miracles had a specific purpose. And today, we're going to take a look at the first sign that Jesus performed publicly. Now, this is a story that I would imagine many of you listening, you may have heard. When when, when I say to you, water to wine, many of you may be able to quote in some fashion the miracle that happened where Jesus turned water into wine at the wedding feast. And John really assumes everybody reading the gospel really already knows about it as well. I mean, by the time he documented it, and this was many, many years later, this had been such a popular sign that people who he was telling the story to probably already knew much of it. So John didn't really go into much detail even about the actual changing of the water. So he starts his story off this way. Here's where he starts in chapter 2 of his book. He says... Now, this is an interesting interaction that we see between Jesus and his mother. It it kind of makes me begin to wonder what Mary had seen with Jesus growing up. Because here's the interesting thing. we're At this wedding, they've run out of wine, and Mary finds out about it. And what does she think immediately? You know, Jesus can probably take care of this. It's interesting to think, like, what did Mary see when Jesus was a child that made her realize, oh, he can probably... Like, create wine somehow. Like, was she somehow, like, when she was growing up and she was like, you know, we've run out of bread, and I could either go make some, or, hey, Jesus, I'm just going to go in the other room, and while I'm in there, could you just do whatever it is you've done the last few times, and just, could bread show up? I feel like she's looking at Jesus and kind of doing this, like, that thing that you do where you turn things into other things. Can you do that? Because here she's just assuming Jesus can do something about it. And Jesus' response to it is, is really pretty funny if you read it, if you just don't glaze over it, because he says, Woman, what does this have to do with me? Now, when he says woman, that sounds a little bit like abrasive, but it has actually really translated to more like my fairest woman or my fair lady. It's really not rude. But again, it's like Jesus is looking at his mom and saying, I can almost hear him saying, Mom, are you kidding me? Like What are you doing? This is not when I was ready to do this. I wasn't ready to make this happen now. And then the interesting thing is that Mary just doesn't even respond to that. She just turns to the servants. She just ignores what Jesus says. And she turns to the servants and says, whatever he tells you to do, do it. And she just walks off. It's an interesting part of the story, but it's true that Mary knew that Jesus had this power. And so whether Jesus foretold or knew he was going to do it then or he made that decision at the time, it's powerful to realize that Jesus and Mary had this relationship. Now here's where the story continues on. Here's what John writes. He writes, Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. Now, I'm going to stop there because I think this part of the passage is important. See, John is setting up context here to help us understand how important this sign was. This was a wealthy family, a wealthy Jewish family. And that law, that Jewish law demanded that for ceremonies like this, they stay ceremonially clean, right? And so when people would come into the ceremony, there would be these huge jars, I mean giant jars filled with water, for them to be able to cleanse themselves and clean themselves before they entered into the ceremony. And this wasn't just a random piece of information that John wanted to share with you. No, these clay, these stone jars, they were icons of the original covenant and those traditions that that Jesus had come to replace. Jesus decides to go public, whether it was foretold or he decided later, by using something that would soon be replaced to point to something that would soon be in place. The temporary covenant that God had made with his people, it was coming to an end. And these jars represented the entire sacrificial system. Jesus decided to illustrate something new was coming on the scene. And remember what our big idea today says. It says, Jesus replaces the old with something better. And the water they poured into these vessels, that stands for an old ancient ceremony that Christ was to replace with something better. He said, fill up those empty jars as they normally would use them, right, with water. These, these ceremonies weren't new. they have been around for hundreds of years, right? But he was basically, people were cleansing themselves with them regularly. And at this moment, Jesus was taking something old, and he was making it better. Even further, he turned water... Which was what was usually used to cleanse themselves into wine. And if we fast forward into Jesus' life at the Last Supper, Jesus would use wine as a symbol for his blood. Again, the people at this time, they didn't know what was going to happen there. They didn't know what was to happen. But for us, it points to the fact that Jesus was foretelling the story of what had come, what was to come for each of us to replace our need for rituals and the old ways with a new life. This was what baptism in the name of Jesus became. That cleansing had already been there, but Jesus asked us to be cleansed in him, in his blood, right? And we're going to celebrate this baptism at Easter. We want to have a baptism moment for those of you who are considering making this commitment, those of you who have been thinking about baptism and, you, and you're considering that, we're going to have a baptism time at Easter. And if you're interested in taking this step in your faith, we're going to be having some baptism conversations at both of our campuses across the next few weeks. And we would love for you to be a part of those. And so you can register for any of those either on our app or on our website. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee, and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. So why would John start here? I mean, it was Jesus' first sign, but why would he focus on what he did? And as an old man, I think John really remembered this story And he was sharing this story with people at the time. And it probably started to dawn on him, honestly, by God's God telling him that once he was gone, these stories might not go go on. So John felt, by the leading of the Holy Spirit, that this was his duty to make sure that these stories were preserved and told so that we would believe. He was being led by God to share this story, and with the help and knowledge of God, John knew this was the perfect way for Jesus to step into his role as Messiah and Savior. See, the wedding guests who were at this event, they probably never really even knew what happened. But but us as future readers, this all makes sense. See, John never says a miracle takes place because he kind of expects everyone to already know about that miracle. But he focused a lot on this last part of the story where the head of the house asks, basically says, how the wine, the best wine has come second. He said, he said to the bridegroom, you saved the best until now. Which at the time was un, really not, not something you saw. At the time it was give them the best wine first and by the time they drank some of that they're gonna not really know the difference between good and bad wine. So I'm going to go ahead and give him the bad wine second, but he's saying, wow, you saved the best for second. And you see, here's the great thing. God had done the same as well. The original wine had set the stage for the better wine that was coming later. Jesus uses this metaphor to say to the world, something new has come. Something better has come. There was nothing wrong with what came before, but what came before was a setup for what was coming. Jesus is looking to do this in your life as well, where the old ways of doing things and living your life may not be bad. He's looking to replace your life with something new and better. You know, maybe you've been relying on your family. Maybe you've been relying on your friends, upon your job, upon your rituals of of faith, or your education or your old habits to bring you life. But it just hasn't filled you in a way that you had expected. This is what Jesus wants to replace. He wants the new life, the new wine to be better than what had come before. He wants your life to be lived to the fullest. The miracle that we read about today was a sign. It pointed to something or to somebody that nobody would understand until later. But now that we do, it's so awesome to see that Jesus was what he was really trying to do. This is why the disciples believed in him at the time. Did he just tell them to believe? Did he just say, just believe in me, okay, have faith? No, there was a reason to believe. Unlike John, though, our faith oftentimes doesn't come by seeing. You know, there can be exceptions to this where people come to faith or come to reality of Jesus through something they've seen or experienced. But for most people, we come to faith by hearing. And we are invited to believe what happened based upon the testimony of the people that were actually there. You see, John was probably the last apostle alive, and he was convinced that God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. That's what He says in John three sixteen, and whoever places their faith in Him would not perish. John was convinced that the Word had become flesh because of what he saw. John said, "I was just a bystander. I was. Just, I'm a simple fisherman." And I'm not just telling you these stories just for you to hear them, but I want you to believe them and therefore believe in Jesus and have new life in his name. You know, he wrote this book so that people might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the Son of God. John says that in turning water to wine, Jesus revealed his glory and that his followers Those who were bystanders to this event believed in him because of it. He wanted each of us hearing this story and reading this story today to believe it, not because we took it by faith, but because we took it from an eyewitness. Now, if you're interested in hearing more of these stories that John presents as bystander experiences, I would encourage you to come back for week two of our series even further, I would encourage you to invite people that you know to hear these stories as well. Invite them to, to follow along with us. And, 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 and read through the Gospel of John as we go through this series. You know, and as we go through this, we're going to realize that God still is at work in these, today. There are still signs all over the place of how he's transforming lives And during this bystander series, we're going to share some transformation stories with you in a kind of a different way. We're going to let people share how they see God moving in the life of others. These people are bystanders to the work God is doing in these people from Idaho.